If you haven't already, if you would turn to Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14, we're going to begin with, and I recognize that that is uh, not always a place that you look for. Some of you know of Jonah, so find Jonah and just keep going towards the New Testament. Um, obviously, there's Habakkuk and uh, Haggai and Zechariah, but Zephaniah is right in there towards uh, the back of the Old Testament, as we say sometimes. Let's look at verse 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. And on that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. We're going to jump off as from here in this message as we're getting ready next to hit the uh, Christmas season. But we've been talking about fighting for joy. And, and you will notice that I, I have a slide up here because now... We have a new projector. We had to get one, but we have a new projector. So I haven't been able to show pictures, and I feel like I've been kind of out of the loop, and it seems like in our fight for joy, uh, I should probably join the bandwagon and show a pic uh, or a meme of Smudge, the cat, right? So here you go. Here it is. Oh, oh, good. He's left the table, so we don't have to see that. Some of you who don't know what I'm talking about, the Lord bless you. you you've already been blessed. Uh, with that we've been talking about fighting for joy not just because life seems to fight against us in that area but because there is a form of churchianity that seems to turn out christians who are going to heaven but not that happy about it they got jesus but got no joy seemingly even Less joy than those who are not saved. Living with a permanent scowl rather than a smile. Maybe you know somebody like that. I don't know. But that's because they're serious Christians, right? They're serious Christians. Actually, I'm not sure I remember at the benediction... As everybody's leaving the church service and pronouncing the benediction, the blessing, I don't remember saying, now everyone, I want you to please remember to make sure to pick up your lemons to suck on this next week as you leave the church service. We should not be sour-faced people portraying Christianity as an unhappy religion Because God calls his people to joy, to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice, to clap your hands and shout to joy and shout to God with cries of joy. Or as we read here in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 14, 
again and again, saying, O daughter of Zion, the word sing in the way is used is a singing that is one of joy. And then he goes on to say, shout aloud. And that shout aloud is not an angry shout aloud, but a joyful shout aloud. And be glad. If you think that would be enough just to say be glad, but he says rejoice, be glad and rejoice. Are we getting it? Of how we're to be, be glad and rejoice with all your heart. So clearly tells us how we are to be. And yet we struggle with this. Why? Why do we struggle? Why do we need to fight for joy? And we've covered a lot of reasons this year. You can go back on the website and look over some different messages. But one that we've not touched on that we're going to deal with today goes deeper. And for some, we become serious, never smiling, ever unhappy Christians because we think that's how God is. Sour, stern, angry, never happy. Which is why the title of this message is, Is God Happy? God doesn't call us to some happiness that he himself doesn't already have. And we see that in verse 17 of Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. God is a God of joy. This here in verse 17 is not a picture of a God who is continually angry or disappointed in us, but one that is filled with joy. We need to change how we see God in our fight for joy if we're going to win. And when we do all these other things, we can talk about worry, we can talk about all this kind of stuff, but if we do not see God as He truly is, how can we ever find the joy of the Lord when we don't know the Lord of the joy? What do we need to do? We're going to begin with the first, uh, first point, which is to embrace the God of unending joy. You know, unfortunately, the best answer to some can give to the question, is God happy? The, the best answer to that, is God happy, is sometimes. And you say, okay, well, if he's sometimes happy, then what makes him happy? And there's a whole host of wrong answers that get shouted out and lead us down a path of an unhappy Christian uh, to an unhappy God. You see, in some ways, the answer to the question, what makes God happy, what makes God happy is nothing. Now, I know you're thinking, oh, man, this is not going to go good. In some ways, what makes God happy is nothing. You know why? Because he's already happy. He doesn't need to be made happy. He is joy already. We don't need to make happy. That's who he is. He rejoices over you with gladness. He delights with you with shouts of joy. And you know, some have this idea that God has not been happy since sin entered in the fall of man. Before that... He looked at everything that he had created and he said what? It was 
Good. Oh, it was good. But ever since then, things have just fallen apart, right? His children, you know, ever since that whole fall, you know, his children are all bad and he's sad all the time, or at least he's unhappy. But someday we'll finally get to the new heaven, new earth, and all of sin and all of Satan will be destroyed and everything will be made new. And then maybe God will be happy finally because he won't have to deal with all that. That's not true. Here's where we miss it. God does not just have joy. He is joy. That is a fruit of who His being is, a characteristic of who He is. And since God is eternal, therefore His joy is never-ending. The God not only is happy, but was happy, was joy before He ever created us. Before we ever entered the picture, God already was joy. He already had it. He didn't have to have us to have joy, nor us to take it away. He is the God of unending joy. But, 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 but we good Christians really don't like that word happiness. Because there are people who have made decisions to walk away from God and what He wants in the name of them wanting to be happy. Because people who have walked away from God have defined their happiness based on what is happening to them. And all oh, this, I'm not happy because of this, or I'm not happy, you know, rather than finding that their happiness is based in what is happening in Christ. The fact is, even I have preached messages that in the past that have broken up the difference, happiness and joy versus joy. But I'm not sure that that is technically the biblically accurate answer. I think that separation that we make between happiness and joy in the English language, understand, which is not the biblical way it talks about it, that the, the distinction we make between those two is really more of a reaction to the way the world has decided to use that word. And so we have taken it out of our spiritual vocabulary as Christians. We can talk about joy, but don't talk about happiness. And yet, you know what? Christians used to talk that way as, as much as 100 to 300 years, between 100 and 300 years ago. In Christian writings and sermons, you would see the word happiness used positively. Let me just share a quote from a book by Randy Alcorn. I've got some of the other things from this here today, from that. There was a famous revivalist, I've probably talked about him before, from the 1700s, Jonathan Edwards, who wrote this. He, God, has created man for this very end. I can't see it back there, so I'm checking that behind me has created man for this very end to make him happy in the enjoyment of himself. The Almighty was happy from the days of eternity in himself. This is early as the 1700s. They're talking about God being happy and happy. And here's the guy who in many ways was seen as the father of the great awakening and revival that took place. This is how he was talking. I've mentioned others like Charles Spurgeon uh, from the 1800s, famous preacher. And he called believers children of the happy God. 
There are countless other clear examples of talking about happy Christians and a happy God throughout all that time. But we don't say that now. What happened? And one of the reasons I said it is because, once again, we've let the world hijack and take away a key world, word and principle that Christians were meant to experience. We now only look at happiness and joy and what that means through the eyes of the world instead of what that means through the eyes of God. And here's the thing. We don't really even question it because many don't really think God is happy. Uh, Let's look at one of the words in the Bible that is used for happiness. In, In the original language, that would mean happiness. Often this word is translated into English as blessed. All right? So... Uh, You don't have to memorize this chart or anything, but here's the different words that are used for blessed in the uh, New Testament Greek. You don't have to know those, but the bottom one there in red, makarios, is the one, even though it's used for blessed, what that meaning is, is happy. Now, not all the other ones mean happy, but this one, or I'm sorry, blue, I said red. I'm not really colorblind. In blue, that bottom one, when it's used, literally means, that word means happy, and yet in our Bibles, we often see it written as blessed. Uh, Let me just uh, give some examples of that uh, in our Bibles. Like Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, you remember the, the Beatitudes, as we call them. Blessed, and instead of blessed, we could, because that with that word, instead of just saying blessed... Because there's lots of different blessed in the Bible. The specific meaning of that word blessed is happy. And so you could say instead of blessed are the poor in spirit, you could say happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Are you with me? You go on to look at John 13. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed or what? Happy if you do them. Luke 11. Happy rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Acts 20 verse 35. And everything I did I showed you by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remember the words of Jesus himself said. It is more happy to give than to receive. And uh, finally in Romans 4 Verse 7, blessed or happy are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Happy is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Okay, so now we've got that. But let's just read two more verses. They kind of put this in the context of what we're talking about this morning. Let's look at two, two more verses. And that's in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can see them here on the screen that first Timothy chapter 1 11 that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me or first Timothy 6 which God will bring about in his own time God the blessed and only ruler king of kings lord of lords who alone is immortal who lives in unapproachable light who no one has seen or can see to him be glory on forever amen all right So once again, we see our English word blessed up there. But in the original, 
the word that is used there is that makarios, the same word that we've just looked in all those other verses. In other words, what does that mean? In other words, here's the way we should be reading it. That conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the happy God which he entrusted to me. Which God will bring uh, about in his own time. God, the happy and only ruler. Now, let's face it, for some that's hard to take. It just doesn't sound right. It's even wrong. That somehow, oh God, happy. Because we haven't been taught of God's joy. We've been taught we're supposed to rejoice, but not that God has joy or that God rejoices. It's just easier for us to say blessed. To just, let's not change it to happy. Let's just leave it blessed. But unfortunately, when we leave that word blessed, then we got to go back because when we leave it blessed there, that he is the blessed God, we're using it to mean as in praise, eulogio, or and the rest of the words that are up there. We're using all those words now. In other words, we're changing the word of God. We're changing what God originally put there to mean a different kind of blessed instead of the blessed that means happy. He is a happy God. It matters deeply whether we see God as just one who passes out joy or one who is joy, who is happy. It affects how we relate. In fact, for some people, it affects whether they are in a relationship with God. Think about it. How well do you relate to someone in your life who is never happy? Someone who's always angry. How much do we really want to hang around somebody that's like hugging a porcupine. Perhaps you know someone. Someone that's very stiff, somber, and solemn. Always serious. That feels like it's wrong for you to smile and shoots a stern look should you ever think about having fun or happy thoughts. How would you like to spend the rest of your life in a room with that person? Well, isn't that special? Most of us would say, no, thank you. And yet, that's pretty much the view that some have when they think about going to heaven and spending the rest of eternity with God because they've got the wrong picture of who He is. Jesus talks about going to prepare a place for us in His Father's house. And it's amazing how many you talk to that are more glad about not going to hell than they are about being happy that they're going to heaven. And in some ways, for some, you can't blame them because they have not been taught about the joy or the happiness here or in heaven. Even greater than that, they've been taught that the Heavenly Father that they're going to spend eternity with in His house is perpetually perturbed versus habitually happy. So why would you want to look forward to spending eternity uh, close to and focused on a God who is chronically cranky? Yet that's not true. In fact, A.W. Tozer, the famous Alliance guy that we quote a lot, great stuff. You have an opportunity to read some of his stuff. God is going to be as pleased to have you with him in heaven as you will be to 
as you will be to be there with him. That's hard for some to accept. When the way he's been portrayed is, is by motivating people to turn to God out of fear of an eternally angry God who is never happy. And if that's true, then why would God ever want us to be? If that's the way he is, why would he want us to be joyful? Now, now please understand, I am not discounting that there is judgment coming and that there are those who will experience the wrath of God. Rather, I am questioning why we have not been able to present a whole picture of God and who he is and instead have to sell heaven to people by talking about walking on streets of gold where there is no more pain, no more crying, and no more death. But we don't talk about there is more of God and being with Him. Because that's what heaven is really about. That's what eternal life is about. That is is about knowing God. Jesus says that in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life. To know you, the only true God, the Father, and your Son, Jesus know he who is the god of joy they can only be found in jesus you see this is the key it's about finding that joy that is in him being with him in fact psalm 16 verse 11 in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand or pleasures forevermore i should think about this verse up here How can this be true if God is eternally unhappy? How can that be true if God is eternally unhappy? But it can be true if God is a God of joy who is happy and who we can find fullness of joy in eternally. A God who is happy and will be in eternity with a never-ending joy and so we will be with Him. So he says, okay, 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 pastor, but how can we say God has the characteristic of unending joy? That's what this point is about. How can we say that God has the characteristic of unending joy when it seems like there are times where he is saddened or grieved? Well, I want you to think about it this way. It is possible for a particular human being to be looked at as someone who is a happy person. It's like you probably know someone like that. They're just like, they're like always happy. Always. Maybe even just, you don't like hanging around them. I don't know. But they're just, they are a happy person. It's just their nature. They don't even have to work at it. But that doesn't mean that they will not experience some sadness at the death of a loved one. But in that sadness that they're experiencing from the death of a loved one, it does not change the fact that they are still a happy person. In fact, even in their grief, they will have happy memories. Now, God, who is not human, so if that human can be that way, God, who is not human, can feel sadness without losing his gladness. His unending joy. Let's embrace the God, not only of unending joy, but let's embrace the God 
of unconditional joy. The fact is, while uh, we find greater joy in a closer relationship with Jesus, the closer we get, the greater our joy is. It's a problem wanting to get close to God, as we mentioned, because we're never sure what we're going to get. I mean, how much do you want to be around that person that's never satisfied with you, that always, at a minimum, at least is disappointed with you? How do we get nearer to God, our Father, if it always seems like He's unhappy, not just in general, but specifically with you, with me? Especially when we haven't figured out how to exactly be perfect all the time yet. And so some feel like they're constantly walking on eggshells. Here in that moment, the wrath is just going to come down. God is not like earthly fathers who even the best sin at times and are, are, are selfish, are impatient. God is not a mess of irrational emotions that are completely unpredictable and are given to major mood swings. God is not some weather vane that just quickly flips around, sometimes never knowing, depending on the wind of the situation or what's going on or what's going on with you. Rather, James chapter 1, verse 17 talks about how God does not change like the shifting shadows. That He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Which deals with all of who He is. And somebody may be, okay, okay, but... Maybe we wouldn't go so far to say that God is eternally unhappy, but that occasionally we do something that's right and and he's happy for a little bit. But that doesn't last long because, well, we just end up making God unhappy again. That would mean that his joy is conditional. It's a conditional joy. But is it? Is God's joy conditional upon us humans when happiness is who he is not what he does have we ever stopped to think of how that sounds because we probably heard that and sold that and it probably just that's what really just makes sense to you but think it through for a moment with me that god's happiness is affected by us that we as humans basically have control over the happiness of a sovereign God of the universe based on whether we do things that are right or whether we do things that are wrong. Let's face it, if God's happiness depends upon us, then it ain't never going to happen. We got... To get this thinking, I I know we get the thinking, we've used it in other things, but if God ain't happy, then nobody is happy. But the biblical truth is, if nobody is happy, God is still happy. Because that's who He is. A joyful, happy God. Not conditional. Neither his love is conditional nor his joy because his love and joy are tied in with who he is, not in what we do. Does God find joy in his people? Yes. He does find joy in his people. But God who is joy was happy before we were ever around. And here's where religion rubs us the wrong way when we say to experience true joy we need to do what makes God happy. 
if we've got the wrong picture of God, then we're saying, how is that even possible? Because we've taught God is never happy. That we never measure up. So why try? I can understand the frustration that, was some, that some have with this. And yet the truth is, that's not the way to find true happiness and joy. And when those who say that God wants me happy, but that conflicts with God wants me holy, then you have misunderstood both of what those words mean. You have misunderstood. When those two conflict, you've misunderstood what happiness is and you've misunderstood what holiness is. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. John 14, verse 15. And somebody says, but if I obey him, then I won't be happy. Then that's not happiness. Just as God can be both holy and happy at the same time, so can we who are created in his image. In fact, as we think about it, you know, we have these, these questions. Holy or happy? Holy and happy or holy or happy? Which, which one is it? In fact, we may have been told that God wants you holy, not happy. God wants you holy, not happy. Now, I realize it's dangerous to start questioning this thinking. Because those are, there are those who say, you know, there are Christians that are seeking a joy apart from Jesus. Who try to find happiness outside of holiness. And they end up traveling down a road that they should not go. And missing out on true joy. Sure, there's a little bit of fleeting happiness. But then with that does not just last. It doesn't, it's not always there. You just got to keep trying. And that's not good enough. So you got to do something else and something more. Or that doesn't work and now we're looking for something else. We're missing it. We're missing out on a true joy and we're missing out on true love out of a sold out commitment that is in love with Jesus that goes his way because that's what our love wants to do. This kind of love is not what's been taught though in many of churchianity kind of places that have told people that you and God will be happy if or on the condition that you just do this and don't do that. And yet as hard as we try to do to follow this list, sincerely trying, the joy never seems to come. And that's because the joy comes from a relationship with Jesus, not from what we do or don't do. Again, to, to some, this kind of talk is venturing into very dangerous territory because that just leaves the door wide open. What you're saying just leaves the door wide open for people to do whatever they want. I mean, after all, we need to scare people back in line. And in so doing, we never lead them to a true joy that comes from a true relationship with Jesus that loves Him so much that we have no desire to walk out the door away from what God wants. But we don't get that choice of true love and true joy because churchianity has focused upon just behavioral modification, holiness. 
that concentrates upon an external whitewashing of our tombs that looks good on the outside and therefore never getting to experience the depth of an intimate relationship with God that so overwhelms our soul from the inside out that it just comes out in joy, joy like an old faithful geyser because we are faithful. Where holy is happy, and happy is holy is the way it should be. They're together, same. That's how we have it. Now, here's the thing that concerns me when we talk about this connection between happiness and holy. Is that some will be thinking, yeah, hallelujah. We need to hear more. And you hear this in every church all around. We need to hear more about the righteousness and wrath of God, about our righteousness and the wrath of God. And that's the problem today. We don't hear enough like we used to in the good old days. We're not hearing the whole word of God. And while I realize that is true in some settings, I also realize that there's no doubt that righteousness has been preached here. But I would argue that there was more time in the past in some churches to preach on the righteousness and wrath because they didn't take time to preach on the rest of the whole counsel of the word of God and who he is. And have given people an incomplete picture of God and what his kingdom is all about. And he talks about his kingdom in Romans chapter 14 verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I think even those who would think, well, we need more of whatever, would agree that we've heard more in the past about righteousness and wrath, or let's just say, dealing with this verse, we've heard more in the past about righteousness than we have about joy and peace. In fact, how many teachings in your life have you heard like this about the happiness of God? And I would venture to say for the majority of those who are here today, you would say, this is my first. Anybody? Yeah. So what do we need to hear more of? It's not that we need to hear less or that we discount part of the message. We need to hear all of who God is on both sides of this, on all sides of who He is. We're missing that. And this is complicated by the picture that we have of religion that... um, uh, Let's put it this way. Here's a picture that our our churchianity kind of religion has. What are you doing? What are you doing? Or, or, how about instead of religion, we talk about a relationship... And the father comes down and says, Hey, what you doing? What you doing? 
Do you see the difference between those two? Do you see how the difference between those two will cause a different reaction, a different response from us? Knowing who God really is. It's not that God's not addressing it, but our picture of the stern overlooking and pointing the finger versus a hand on the shoulder. What are you doing? What are you doing? Hey, that makes all the difference in the world. That's the difference He wants to make in our life. The God who is for us, not against us. Romans 8, 31, read in there. We're not going to get to it right now. Somebody says, oh, but, but isn't it true that God disciplines us? Yes, totally. It is true. God disciplines his children. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. We read earlier in verse 8, I read verse 10 and 11 there, but verse 8, that we are his sons because we are his sons and daughters. Even in verse 6, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as a son. So yes, God does discipline, but there's a difference between the God that disciplines like this and the God that disciplines like this. To see the difference, for us to to understand, and unfortunately what's been communicated either through our families that we grew up in or through churches, that God is disciplining you, then is not happy with you. That he is unhappy, and that means that he does not love you. And if he does not love you, you are not his child. And yet think about that. There is no earthly good father who when the child needs to be disciplined is saying, you're no longer my son. And so if a good earthly father wouldn't do that, how much more when we think about a good, good father in heaven and how he would think towards us And oftentimes we think of God's discipline as something negative. But it's not. When we think God's discipline is not about His anger with us. God's discipline, as we read here in Hebrews 12, is not about His disappointment with us. God's discipline is about His love for us that we might learn and live in joy that He had planned for us. Can we see how a change and a more complete view of God could change our view in life? That God who is actually joy is a God who does not look at you with an everlasting scowl on his face, but can look at you and smile and say, you are my child and I love you. I love you because of... uh, I love you not because of what you do or don't do. I love you because of who I am as God. Not anything to do with you. My love for you is unconditional. And so is my joy. And once we see that, it's the opportunity then for us to move to the final brief point here, to embrace the God of unlimited joy. 
all of this, hopefully, we see that, that we do not have to go out and find happiness. You can go looking for happiness and somehow try to make yourself happy. It will only last for a little bit, and it, it just is not only limited but not permanent, not even lasting much longer than the moments that you're in it. Joy is not something that we have to work for or work at, so to speak. It is a gift of God. Joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy is God. And when Jesus talks about what he will do, what he wants to do in and through us, look at John chapter 15, verse 11, and then we'll turn to John 17. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full or complete. In chapter 17. In verse 13. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that you may have the full measure of my joy within them. The full measure, the fullness of his unlimited joy as an unlimited God. A joy that's not about what Jesus hands out to us like he's grabbing it out of a heavenly warehouse. What does he say? That you might have my joy. My joy. The joy that is mine. Not the joy I possess back in a heavenly warehouse, but my joy That is unlimited. The joy that is his who is joy. First Peter chapter 1 verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Joy is not something God made. It is something He is. It is not something that can ever run out. And it is not something that can be stolen by the people and the problems in your life. Not only because they can't steal from God, but even if they could and somehow God is unlimited in His joy, and even if they were trying to take it, they will never take all of God's joy. And there is always joy for you. Unlimited I want to think about ourselves being filled up, he says, to the fullness, the complete joy that is God's. And think about it this way, that I grab uh, this cup. And I think about this cup being me, us, and wanting to get it filled with joy. By the way, there's nothing in here. And this is one time, hey, the splash zone you don't have to worry about. This is not what we fill the cup with. This is limited. You know where I go fill my cup? I got it on the picture on the screen, right? If this represents me, the ocean represents God. Actually, that's not even a great representation because God is even more unlimited than all the water in the oceans. But let's face it, with this size cup, it'll be a long time before I drain the ocean. Right? 
And so we go to Him. Where we find our joy, an unlimited joy that never ends, is He who is joy, is an ocean of joy. And I know that some of us know this, and as Christians, we, we, we get We get it in our head, but our heart doesn't get it. And so what we do is we go to the ocean shore and we're on the shore and and we're like looking at the, oh, God, he's so awesome and praise him. And we sing our songs and we really have a great, you know, that a moment there. And then we take our cup and we run down to the shore as the waves are coming. And before they get too far, we put our cup down and we fill it up and then we run right back down. Okay. And then we run back. Okay, here we go. And we fill it up and we just keep trying to fill it up as the waves are coming in. And it will always end up spilling some and eventually using it up, so to speak. Good joy leaks. There's a hole in our cups. But what if I took this cup and just dropped it in the ocean? The only way it happens is if I dive in and not do this little game of going up to God back and forth trying to catch a little wave of Him, but all in. All in. Because that cup in that ocean then is full and will always be full and filled with an unlimited joy of God who's right there. Romans fifteen thirteen says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overhow with the hope by the Holy Spirit. I asked that the worship team would come and that we would consider what is it that God is asking of us today? It may be that you just need to change the way you've been thinking about God. You've got a little bit of joy, something that's kind of given, but it's a conditional joy that happens sometimes and not. Maybe it is about us trying to seek our happiness, joy in someplace other than Him. That we can be happy and holy at the same time without having to think of this God who's standing over us with the angry look and his finger pointed at us, but rather his arms out to be filled to the fullness of a joy that is unending, of a joy that is unconditional of a joy that is unlimited because God is unending, unconditional, unlimited in who He is. And this joy is His. Receive my joy. Father, thank You for this time and Your Word. We pray that You would help us to truly receive not just joy, but understanding that we're receiving you. That we would be done with just running down and trying to catch a wave here and there and not get real wet. Rather, we would dive in to you, all out, sold out commitment. 
in the middle of your ocean of joy, love, peace, and so much more. Help us find in you all that you are for us today. In your name, Jesus.